You are now listening to the Claim It Podcast with me, your host, Trisha Huffman, your joyologist. On this podcast, I have conversations with people who I find intriguing and inspiring. We get into the journey of their life, well, as much as we can cover in our designated time, because I love to not just hear about the most recent shiny, awesome accomplishments, but yeah. What happened in their life? What choices did they make? How did they get here? I love learning about the ups and downs, the twists and turns with the hopes that you see in your own life, that we all are able to do things our own way. You can change your mind at any time, that there's not usually just a straight line in your life. On today's guest, I am honored to have Precious Brady Davis. She has a new book, a memoir, I love memoirs, called I Have Always Been Me that just came out. Um, And it's a good thing because we, you know, we talked about some amazing stuff and get into her life journey, but not as detailed as, as I would like, but it's okay because it's all in the new book, I Have Always Been Me. So it's perfect, actually. I love what we did get into, and she was on a press tour, so we had more limited time than than I do with some guests. I love what we got to talk about. Um, Precious is a diversity advocate, a public speaker. Uh, you know what? Let's just let's just get right into the episode. Oh, but I always do this. I say let's get into the episode, and then I hesitate and say, if you haven't yet, <laughs> please hit subscribe. Hit subscribe, no matter where you're listening, that helps podcasts become more found, discoverable, all of that good stuff so that we have more people out there that are listening and hopefully becoming empowered and inspired in their own lives. All right, let's get to the episode. All right, so I love starting with what was life like for you growing up? And I know you have a memoir that just came out, so I've started to already read about that. I was going to say hear about that, but read about that. But yeah, like what was life like for you growing up? And then I know you have a lot of story back there, but then also I really like to talk about teenage years because I feel like that's such a time when we're really like, it feels like this push pull of like wanting to stand out, but wanting to fit in, but who am I? But what am I supposed to do in life? Like we start to feel all these external and internal pressures. Absolutely. Well, good morning. Thank you so much for for having me today. And yes, I just wrote a memoir. I have always been me, which is the story of a young gender nonconforming child from Omaha, Nebraska. Growing up in Omaha for me was an interesting experience. From the beginning of my life, I knew that I didn't fit in. I mean, there were all of these intersectional parts of my identity that were colliding from being a biracial child, from being in foster care, to being raised in a Pentecostal community, to to being adopted. All of these things compounded the, the trauma that I faced as a child. And I was a very lonely child, 
but I had a very exuberant spirit. My whole life, optimism has been at the core of my identity for as long as I can remember. I remember being about six, and this was just after, or just right before I had been adopted by by my grandparents. And I went on a visit with my biological mother, who I knew did not want me. Uh, That had come through, you know, various family members, but also at this visit, you know, she didn't want to play with me. She wanted to play with my sister. Um, So I knew from a very early age that she didn't want me and that I was abandoned. And so I'll never forget jumping back into the back seat of this social worker's car, tufted maroon seats, the sun was shining, and I hopped up into the car and I slammed the door shut and I looked up into the sun and I remember my spirit saying, let me show you what you're going to miss. Let me show you that I am going to be the biggest person that you have ever seen. And so I grew up with, with, with that kind of weighing over, over my head, you know, uh, and I talk about in the book about what that feeling of abandonment was yeah, like. I can't imagine all the things that you must have felt. And when you describe that moment in the car where you had, you know, you felt your spirit talking to you, I just got full body chills, like not just my arms, like my entire body is now was like goosebumps. And I imagine, you know, t- I have a totally different story, but I had something from my child and I don't even know the the moment, but I've carried through my life this like this feeling of nobody cares about me. Um, and so because of that, I, I created this story that I've lived out as I don't need you. So I moved through my life. I don't need you. I'll show you. I'll prove it to you. And like, I don't need, I don't have, like you have a very real <laughs> moment in life and I don't know where that came. And so, but I can see where that, that like worked in a lot of ways for me. Like I did a lot. I was so independent, but then at one point it caught, you know, it started to catch up with me. Then I started to like, Oh, maybe I, I, I do want to like need people and to let people in and stuff. So, you know, we're going to jump all around. So like wondering, did you have like that, that sort of thing happen to you too, where, you know, you in that moment were like, okay, I'll show you and like how that worked for you. And then did at some point, yeah, did you have to like work through that too, like I did? Absolutely. I do think that like many things, it is a double edged sword because I think I saw it most apparent, you know, when we would have school parties, you know, my, my grandparents were, were, were very busy. So they adopted myself as well as my brother and my sister. And they had two kids on, on top of that. And so we were a blended family, you know, and we were a, a poor family. And I think it was most apparent when we had parties at school, you know, where I would see other parents, you know, and it would be the very, the very simple acts, very simple acts. It would be like parents, coming to help with parties to just like pour juice or to like bring in, in cookies or that would, they would show up to the the Christmas program. It would be moments like that where I would feel like a great deal of, of sadness 
to, to where I would be uh, affected. And for many years, there, there was a sadness. And sometimes it still like rears itself. I think, you know, I write about this moment in the book of one of the most traumatic incidents in my life. I write about a very traumatic Christmas of being taken away from, from my grandparents uh, because of an incident that uh, occurred and I'll let folks read the book uh, and they, they can learn more about that, that incident. But it was, it was hard for me because it colored that Christmas for, for me and it colored holidays. And so for many years after I could not do holidays whatsoever, but I think I've, I've learned to start new traditions you know, and I have been in therapy, you know, about, you know, that, that issue. And it's something that I have, I have worked out. And one of the things that I think has been really affirming for me is knowing that people can't give you what they don't have. And my biological mother didn't have the capacity, you know, and I think that I held a lot of resentment um, when I was a child, but in, in writing the book, it helped me to really see her. Yeah, I get that. I mean, and yeah, I think it's, again, everybody has their own stories and journeys and yours is much different, but it's like, yeah, there's so much in childhood too, that we don't understand and that we carry so many emotions throughout our entire lives. And we have these resentments and things. And it's like, even if you're, even if you had what looked like, like the, perfect whatever TV parents, there's still like so much stuff and so much like memory, just so much happens. I've been so in the last couple of years, like all about the word and like, right, we can experience sadness and joy at the same time. Because yeah, like when the holidays come up, like it's okay. like, of course, you're going to like and having compassion for yourself, like, it's not wrong that I feel this way. Uh, and where can I make space for joy and new traditions? Uh, Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, if, if there's anything else you want to say about childhood, which, again, everyone, you can go get her book. <laughs> I have always been me. But, yeah, like the teenage years, how was that? I mean, I'm guessing with already the things that you've named, but just teenage years in general, I find, yeah, like, whoo. Gosh, I mean, <laughs> I thought my childhood was, you know, was was heavy. Being a teenager was even worse just because, you know, like my gender and sexuality come into the, the picture and kids were not nice to me. You know, I remember, you know, being backed into corners of, of walking down a hall and people screaming at me, you gay, you gay, you gay, queer. You know, like I, I got that that taunting and people would say to me, are you gay? Like people were asking me about like my gender and sexuality before I even came to an awareness of it. I didn't even know. I didn't even know what gay meant. I didn't even know like what the weird, what, what the word queer even meant, you know, and on top of, you know, inheriting intergenerational trauma, you know, that, that was one piece of it. You know, I was dealing with, with faith, you know, I was deeply a part of this, this youth group that was the core of my life you know, religion and, and faith and, you know, not being non, non-denominational and, and Pentecostal 
that is a part of, of being like a, a Nebraskan, you know, that and Nebraska football, they are, like, <laughs> they are, they are tied together. And so for me, it was when, you know, I started to have this burgeoning of feeling like, am I gay? You know, and my church was like, absolutely not. You know, that's not how God is calling yeah, you. So that's not a choice, basically. You're not because no, you're, that's like not allowed. Is that what it was more like? It's exactly. Like that's out of God's will, you know, and, uh, you know, that it became something that I was struggling with and that I needed to be, you know, delivered from. And so that probably was a, a six year journey from the time I was in seventh grade until I was a senior in high school. Like, I thought that I would be the next great televangelist. That is what, that's what you are. That's what I was being reared to be, you know, that, you know, I didn't think of anything outside of the lines of church, you know, and so college was not something that I thought about, you know, I thought that I would just go to seminary, you know, or, you know, go into like a Bible program, you know, to be a minister or like a a minister uh, of music. And I feel that is another double-edged sword, you know, to where I felt like I found community in those spaces, but I didn't find complete acceptance. And even in those spaces, I was still very queer. And I remember a pastor saying to me, I was wearing my watch on my right hand. And I remember him saying to me, I, can you, can you move your, your watch to your, to your left wrist? You know, because, you know, I, it was, uh, the appearance of being limp-wristed, you know, and wow. Yeah. So I struggled with my sexual orientation and, and battled religion. And I talk about that in, in the book as well. Was there any person in your life, even someone who was like, you just ran into that was in any way like supportive or like, if you happen to feel these things, okay. Or was it just like, being said, told like, no, you don't do that or made fun of for whatever behavior. So I do talk about in the book, there is one of the guys who went to my church, who was actually one of the youth leaders in my youth group, who was also uh, the piano player at the church. We became the best of friends. And we had also like went to high school together. So we had known um, each other and he was a little bit older than me. And you know, when I was in high school, he had, he had already graduated but he was just kind of like my brother. Like we didn't talk about sexuality. You know, it wasn't like we just, it was just like about our friendship when we were hanging out with each other, you know, like eating pizza, you know, like playing like, like video games. And I was, I'll forever be grateful for, for our time together. You know, that wasn't what, you know, our friendship was about, you know, it was rooted in family because I think he also understood because he, he was also adopted. Uh, and so I think he understood what that place is like of trying to find belonging and meaning. And then you have all of these other issues happening uh, in your life. So you guys didn't, t- so it wasn't like there was that sort of support. It was just more so it sounds like you could like be yourself more, like yeah. relax. You didn't have yeah. to be like, oh, I'm What's why watch or whatever, these small things that are actually big things. Exactly. He was such a a safe space for me. And I feel like I was a safe space for him because, 
you know, he also had a child, you know, like out of high school, you know, and he was like dealing with that, you know, because he wasn't with his baby mama, you know. And so I felt like amongst our issues, we found kinship and we couldn't have been more different from each other. You know, he was like a tracksuit wearing, you know, former basketball player, you know, like manly man, you know, and here I was this young, like feminine, you know, boy, you know, uh, but it was just about the, the friendship, you know, that we had and we would just laugh for the, the joy that we found amongst each other. It, I think it sustained us. Well, I mean, when we were together, we would laugh so hard like it would hurt <laughs> like just like just the, the way our energies like bounced off of each other and it was it, it was life-saving for me yeah the value of just people that you can just be with just be with yeah so precious Speaking yeah right and I feel like like we should not forget like the importance of spending time with people and I, I was thinking about this recently when I was young, you know, um, my uncle <clears throat> would take us to the movies. He would, and 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 I write about this in the book. I thought, oh my gosh, as an adult, he knew what was going on because he had lived it. You know, um, he, he, you know, he had lived. You know, because I was adopted by my grandparents, so it makes like my uncle kind of like my brother kind of thing. Uh, you have to read the book till I get it, but <laughs> but. I felt like he provided such a safe space for me too, you know, a space of, of joy. And it reminded me that I needed to do the same, you know, and not just like send Christmas gifts, you know, to my nieces and nephews, but, you know, spending that time, you know, and I'm, I'm such a busy person, you know, I'm busy, you know, with my, my job and baby and, and book and, but it's something that I want to make more time for in my own life. And yeah. And like, Sometimes we think like those things we want to do, it, it is, oh my gosh, such a big time. Like sometimes it's just like sending a loving text message here and there is really powerful. Yeah. Not just saying that to you, but for everybody. And also for people like, yeah, like think about who are the people in your life that you feel good spending time with and joy. Because I think so many people as adults hold on to shitty relationships friendships that like it's all gossip and comparison and judgment. Like no, no, you don't need to put your time there. Like, think who who do you feel good spending time with and put your energy there? Like, and, I, and make space for more of that if you're like, I don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> I completely agree with you because, yeah, if, if, if it's not good vibes all around, I don't want to be there. And I also love that you brought up comparison. I think that comparison is the thief of all joy. And I know that, you know, it's hard for people today, especially because we live in a, a social media generation. But I think that's one of the reasons that I did like write this book that I myself as a trans activist, I have such a different experience than other trans activists. You know, I'm from Omaha, Nebraska. You know, I'm a wife. I'm a, a mother. You know, I am a lifelong nonprofit professional. You know, I am dedicated, you know, to, to human service and public service work. That has been, you know, like my an entire life. And I think it's important for people to see that difference. Yeah. And, you know, I was thinking too, like in thinking like, okay, like I was so excited to talk to you and thinking, you know, like I am a white cisgender, whatever lady. and 
so we probably have so so such different paths but at the same time like as humans we all have so much in common and really it's like that we all are just wanting to be seen and accepted and loved as ourselves like we all want that so that really people can be like oh i don't have anything in common with that person but it's like ne- like really how even empowering your story and your book is going to be for everyone no matter what your life journey is it's cuz yeah like it's called I have always been me. And to me, that feels like so powerful. So like, here I am, like, see me, accept me. This is me. And that's what we all want to be walking around, like right with tattoos on our foreheads. <laughs> yeah, that is, that is, a, that is a, that is a universal journey. And so many people asked me, they said, did you write your book for, for one person in mind? And I said, no, like, this book is about universal themes of love and acceptance. Like you just talked about, like we all want to be loved. We are all looking for a, a place to, to belong. We all want to see that the work that we do, that it's building sort towards something. And that's really what I've always been me is about. It's about celebrating the, the humanity that we all embody and finding the places that we can connect. You know, like you talked about, you know, being a white cisgender woman. I am a black trans woman, you know, and there are places, you know, that we can relate in terms of womanhood, ways in which I receive, you know, taunting and misogyny in, in the world. You know, the ways in, when, in which men cat call me and, and disrespect me, you know, on, on the street. You know, the ways in which I've been discriminated in, in the workplace, you know, for, for being a woman, for being a, a black woman. You know, like there, there are I think that there are ways in which we can can coalesce. And I think that sometimes it's so important for us to see how we are more alike than we are different. And especially in this time, you know, in in which politics is so divisive, right? And we come from all, all these walks of life. And I don't want for people to believe the same thing that I believe. Like we can have differences of opinion. That's okay. But for me, it's about respect. Like I want people to respect the validity of my life, of my womanhood, of my person. Trans women in general can't even walk down the street safely without being murdered, without being killed or or harassed. And for me, I tried to provide like a real life example of what it is to be a black trans woman in the world. I have hopes, I have dreams, I have fears. And that's what it's all about, connecting to our shared humanity. Yeah, exactly. And that's why I was bringing it up. It's like, it can seem like, oh, what? I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't understand this person or their lives. And it's like, no, really? Like, we're like, really? I'm like, yeah, I'm like, even like our childs and everything is so different. I'm like, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Like, it's like, <laughs> yeah. as humans, we really have so much more with so much in common. Like, we're all so different, different stories, but so much common. That's why I love talking to people like that. Trisha here bringing you a brief interruption with some ways to empower yourself, to grow, to get out of your own way. One is my daily inspiration app. It's called Own Your Awesome, and you can get it on the Apple app or the Google 
play store. It's hundreds of powerful thoughts and affirmations. You can open it at any time and get a card. I just opened it and I got, I am stepping into my fears. I must face my fears to live my dreams. I'm going to hit the show me, show me a card button again. And I got care less about what they think, care more about what you think. There's all sorts of things in here. You can even go into daily in the app. You hit that in the menu and set a time to get a reminder to pull a card because we forget. We forget to do the things that do good for us. Okay, so go get the app. It's only $3.99, a one-time fee, no ads or anything. Also, I have a product line, shop.yourjoyologist.com. My favorite products right now are one, I have a physical 52 card deck that is also called Own Your Awesome, 52 affirmations. It's great to have around, pull a card, see what you get. It's a different like, oh, you actually physically pull a card. I also have a daily connection journal. It has daily prompts to have you getting connected to yourself. And besides my product offerings and my app and the podcast, I offer one-on-one intensive coaching. I only have a couple spots available each month. I currently have spots open for August and September. I think, who knows when you listen to this, but check it out. Go to yourjoyologist.com backslash coaching. If you are looking to make a change in your life and to actually have someone holding your hand the whole way through, that's it. That's me. I got you. Check out what the people that have worked with me have to say. It is life-changing because I am with you every single day. We don't just have one-hour calls. We are in communication daily and you really do make changes in your life, in your mind, in your heart, in what is possible for you. Check out everything at yourdwellgist.com. Okay, let's get back to the episode. Okay, I'm going to jump back into, so you graduate high school and you said you weren't thinking about college or colleges or anything, well, when you were in it and into the religion. I was going to say religious, but, but yeah, like what, what ended, what did you end up doing like after high school? So after high school, I, I was still, you know, so I had found a place in arts, in performing in musicals, performing in choir, you know, doing concert choir, you know, I performed in a madrigal group and it was a place that I found community. So I found, so I found my voice you know, in, I found my voice in, in music and theater. And so after high school, I kept doing performing arts. And so there was a community college that was 45 minutes away from Omaha, Nebraska, that had a wonderful performing arts program. And so I did, I I did that for a year and I basically like my, my academics was not the core focus of my life. So I needed to build a stronger academic portfolio so that I could go to the university. And so I went to community college for a year and then I transferred to the University of Nebraska-Lincoln where I wanted to be become a theater educator because I was so affected by, by my theater and music teachers. You know, I found a community and I found hope for myself. And so I thought that I would continue performing because I had taken voice lessons, you know, and I had studied classical voice. 
But then I went to the University of Nebraska-Lincoln with my best friend from high school. He was a year behind me. And going to the University University of Nebraska-Lincoln, it absolutely changed my life. Because number one, there was a gay bar within a few miles <laughs> of, of the campus. And I had gone from this tiny community, residential community college environment where they had housing and I, and I lived there and everything to this huge state school, you know, where like partying is at like right. the core of well, yeah, Like basically it seems like college is like, you just go to party and like, oh, right. We're also have classes or. <laughs> exactly. You know, cause I gone to the university of Nebraska where Nebraska football is like the, the oh, national right, and even like, football schools. Yeah. Yeah. So I went to a football school where it is like the religion, you know, of, of the school. And for me, I had gone to this National Coming Out Day event. So there was this Queer Student Alliance, which I talk about in in the book, where I I started to gather with other queer folks and find my community even more so than I did being at Iowa Western. And so one of my friends invited me to this national coming out day at this gay bar. And, and I could go because it was, you could go if you were 18 and up, you just couldn't drink. And so I saw this drag performer come out and perform. And this, this club was not just like any gay club. It was a cabaret. And so there was like a full stage, full, you know, the lighting system, chairs like a a server like it was like very posh you know it was like a very but it was like a very posh gay club and so I sat down and I see this queen come out and perform uh and I mean she was a Latina queen and just was just so beautiful and I couldn't believe the production level that I was seeing I had never seen (laughs) I'd never seen and you were a theater like you were a theater student you were into theater and performances so then you're in this space and then the performance is like blowing your mind (laughs) absolutely the performance was blowing my mind and I was like I can do that (laughs) I was like I can do this and then the the MC came out and said uh we're going to be having this competition for first-time performers and all my friends were like, you should do it. You should do it. You should do it. And I said, no, no, I'm not a drag queen. I can't do it. I'm not, I can't do it. No, because I was still facing so much internalized stigma about drag. And, you know, I, I mean, I was very gay, but I just I feel like I was like inching myself like out of the closet because I was still battling some of like the the things that had been and I had internalized because of my faith. And so I wound up going to that competition. I was, I tried to come up with a name before. You did it. You signed up. I signed up. So I signed up in the days before I was like very meek about it, of like letting my friends know like, oh, I'm not going to do it because I can't come up with a name. And so I borrowed a dress from a friend and because this pageant going to it, like they, they make you up. That's part of like the competition. It's called beauty. It's called Beauty and, and the Beast. So they like make you up for the for this pageant for first time performers. And I, I borrowed a dress from someone and I went to to this pageant, uh, competed. And I'll never forget walking up to the door. The MC walks up to me and says, what's your drag name? I said, I don't know. Come back in 15 minutes. He came back in 15 minutes and he asked me again. I said, I still don't know. And then 
he's like you're up it's your turn what's your drag name and i said precious jewel and precious jewel was one of the names i told you about that friend that i had that i hung out in high school his mom was very a uh, very southern genteel woman she would always call me like these like sweet names cupcake precious jewel. Like she, like it was like, it would be crazy. Like I'm telling you, like, she would be like gourd of the Lord. Like, like she'd see, like, she would call me like the, she would call me like the craziest thing. So she'd be like cupcake of Christ. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, why didn't you choose that for your drink? <laughs> <laughs> what if that came out of your mouth? Oh, cupcake of Christ. <laughs> She would call me like the the craziest, but Precious Jewel always stuck with me. And I, it was something that I called my friends. Oh, Precious Jewel. Uh, you know, she like Glorious Jewel will be one of the things she would call me. But it's, and I talk about this in, in, in my book. I, it was kind of like Precious Jewel was kind of like a self-fulfilling prophecy of like how funny about like when the time would come to name myself that I would name myself Precious. And that performance changed my life because I'll, I'll never forget closing that heavy door, the, the heavy door where the rest of the drag queens were, you know, and where we were getting ready to enter the stage. And I felt like I was leaving that life behind. And so I won that pageant. Yes! <laughs> and drag became like a core part of, of my life. You know, I performed after that all, I was good, like at the gate, like I was good. Um, and so I performed and at that time, you know, my awareness of the queer community was burgeoning. You know, I learned, you know, I took classes about LGBTQ history, you know, and classes about African-American history of history that I had never learned before. Were those classes offered at the university? Yes, at wow. the University, University of Nebraska. Absolutely. Great. You know, and it was an LGBT literature course, you know, that I that I took that just blew my mind. I read this book called Stranger at the Gate, and it was about this, this pastor's journey about dealing with his sexuality, but also about being a Christian. And that book like released me so much that I could still be a person of faith, that I could still, you know, believe in God and, and still be a, a queer person. You know, and I learned about Stonewall, about 1969 and what pride was actually about, you know, two trans women standing up to the, the police, you know, because back then, you know, you were arrested, you know, if you were dressing in drag or you were a gender non-conforming person. Like, and so I learned about this history of, of something that, that I was, that there were people who, who came before me. And so I just kind of, at, at that time, I just started taking a hodgepodge of, of classes. Uh, I just kind of started getting in my major, but I, but I had sat down with an advisor and she's like, well, we don't have a theater education major here at the university. If you want to do theater education, you have to do English education and theater. And I was like, absolutely not. <laughs> it's like nine years for an undergrad, you know, give me the whole program. I'm like, that is like ludicrous. And so 
I just kept, I kept going on just like a personal journey, you know, of taking, you know, classes that, you know, were of interest to me. And so I went on this visual arts trip to London and Paris. It was just like a two week trip to, to London and Paris. And it was so eye opening, you know, because I was here, I was a, a girl from Omaha, Nebraska, small metropolitan area, and then going to, to Lincoln, going to a college town. But here I was in these two international cities, seeing the diversity of the, the people, seeing the institutions, seeing the museums, seeing the performance, seeing public transportation. And I said, this is where I'm supposed to be. This, I said, this, this is me. I said, there is no way I'm going back to Lincoln. I said, there is no way. I was like, I, I can't, when I got back, like I felt sick to my stomach. I'm like, I can't live here anymore. Like I need to go. And so I applied to schools in Chicago uh, and moved to Chicago, like the closest metropolitan area that I could. I'm, I moved to Chicago when I was 18 and I went to Columbia College, Chicago. I saw that in your notes. Yeah. Whoa, Trisha, love. And I, well, again, much different story, but I grew up in Cincinnati, Ohio, when I was like, I'm getting out of here. <laughs> and yeah, like, was like, yeah, wanted to be in this city. And, um, and I loved Columbia. So did you, did you, when you moved to Chicago, did you end up at Columbia? I did and, and, gra- and graduated and everything. And what did yeah. you choose to focus there? It's such an amazing school, right? You ended up working for them also. I yeah, saw, I did. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I studied uh, liberal education and I kept taking classes in LGBTQ history. Uh, I took some classes in performance. I took some classes in, in humanities and I kept performing drag. Of, of like, that was also like one of the things that brought me to the Windy City of like, I knew I was good. Like, I was like, I'm going to do this professionally, you know, because there was a there's a club here in Chicago called the Baton and of girls who had been doing it like I had saw in Lincoln, Nebraska and did, but on a, like a professional level. And so I, I said, oh, I'll I'll just do that. And so I I did that for a little bit. I kept performing and made a name for myself in the Chicago drag scene. And, and, and that, I mean, that was, that was its own adventure in itself, but I basically, I got to do what I came to Chicago for, uh, because, you know, a year or two later, I ended up on the stage at Chicago pride. I performed at Chicago pride in front of like thousands of people. And for me, that, that was, that was, that was my goal. But after that, I thought, well, I was so run down from performing in the scene. Like, I mean, I was such I was a little I mean, you probably know from come from Cincinnati, but I was a little girl from Omaha and Chicago slapped me around like a couple of times. I had no clue what it was going to be like working in a, a club all the time. I mean, just being around all of the alcohol and the drugs and the shadiness of the business you know, of, you know, working for a shady club owner, you know, I, <laughs> that, that's not where my head was. Um, and by that time I had graduated and there was this incident in the neighborhood called Take Back Boys Town, which is the LGBT neighborhood in, in Chicago. And there was some crime happening in the neighborhood and people were like, oh, it's that center. 
it's that center that brings all of these homeless kids to to the neighborhood and these kids who hang out here you know they don't own any property so why are they here they shouldn't even be here they shouldn't come and you know they would come from all parts of the city because you know they felt safe to be there and for one i said to myself i have a degree i don't need to do this like i'm a showgirl and i felt that the same people who were saying those things about the young people were people who would come and like take pictures with me mm. in, in the club. And I'm like, Oh, don't do that. <laughs> you know, like I, and I would see those young people who they were talking about, they would watch me through the windows because they weren't old enough to get through the club, to get into the club. And I would hug them and I would love on them. And so I applied to work at the center I said, I want to work with those young people, you know, because I my whole life I've been involved in, in social justice. And I felt like I had a heart for those young people because of what I went through growing up. And for me, it was a way that I could make an impact. And so because I'm guessing I mean, that's probably not a super high paying position. Oh, God, absolutely not. <laughs> so that it's you're really feeling like, no, I want to do this and make a difference. Like you feel it within you, not like this will be a great whatever career. I mean, it is a great career move for what you get to do. But so often we think about what's going in our bank account. You're 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 so right. And that that's not where my heart was. Like my heart was I want to work with these young people. And so I went to go work at the center Halstead. So huge. And I was there for for three years and it it was such a prolific moment in my life because up to that point, I was like a gender non-conforming person. So I performed drag, but during the day, like if you saw me, like I might be wearing like, you know, like a sequin top or something like that. No, I wouldn't hesitate to like, if I felt like it, like throwing on like a pair of heels but people still identified me probably as male, you know, like at the time, but I didn't care, you know, just because I was who I was. Um, But I saw this young girl, this young black girl um, and her hair is probably in a ponytail, like the one I'm wearing now. And she was 16 years old. And I said to my coworkers, I said, I said, she goes to school like that. And they're like, yeah. 16 years old, young trans girl walking the school, walking the halls of her high school as a proud and black trans girl. My heart was like, like, and I, that, and that night I walked back to my desk and I sat down and I said, I wish I could be sitting here as precious. And I, and I said that out loud. Like I just said that out loud. And one of my coworkers said to me, why can't you? Got full body chills again. (laughs) And I left. And the next day I came back as precious and started my transition. Wow. Became this executive black trans woman. And I mean, I would wear just like fun, like 80s, like blazers and, and was shopping, you know, thrift. And so did that for a couple of years. Wow. It's so interesting that, yeah, like it's like probably would have always came, but it's just like those moments of lining up and like that one 16 year old girl that like all of a sudden like changed something probably in your like cells of like, wait, wait a minute. (laughs) 
it, it like all like made sense to me seeing her like there I was hired to inspire the young people and to coordinate programming and to make sure, you know, cause I ran this breakfast program and, and it, we had dinner, you know, for, for the kids and, you know, there I was to oversee this program and it was, the, it was the young people who inspired me. And so I think it reminds us of, you never know where teachable moments are going to happen in our lives. And we should just be open to that. And I, I had an aha moment. And also the power of like, you never know your own power of the, that you could change your own life. Like I, that 16 year old girl, well, yeah, part of her could have been like, yes, I'm going to empower people, but she was just doing her. Absolutely. And how that changed your life and how many lives you have likely changed and, or and have the place to impact now because of that like so you listening out there whoever you are and whatever your story is and you know it's like you just never know from just you being yourself and one have one conversation with somebody one meeting like the power that we have as individuals absolutely and that is I think that was one of the most powerful things about writing this book when I read the first draft I was like oh my gosh this is me (laughs) it's like you know that I became the hero of my own story and I don't think we talk about that enough of the ways in which we show up for ourselves in our own lives you know the ways in which our decisions you know create power and, and and shape our lives but I became the hero of of my own story it's so true. And because, yeah, like I was just saying the impact of that 16-year-old, but also you could have seen her and still not have taken that step. The person that sort of gave you the permission that said, well, why can't you? That was probably yeah, also super exactly powerful. right. But yeah, again, exactly. just because everyone is, you know, supporting, that doesn't mean like the name of my podcast is Claim It because, you know, I feel so often we can like be chasing these things we want. And even you can have it like, right. Even like love, like I want love. You can have the most loving, supportive people in your life. But if you are still attached to, I'm not worthy of love, you're not going to feel that love. So like, yeah, we do have to, we, it's like us that we can claim our worth. We can claim our value. We can claim our success. We can claim our fulfillment. We can claim that we are lovable and we are loved in this moment regardless of what you did today and in your life and how much money is in your bank account and all of that. So like we have such an impact on other people, but at the beginning and end of the day, it's us. us. Absolutely. So true. It's about us stepping into it and, and claiming, claiming our, our, our power, you know, and that's why when the, when the time came to, to choose my name, I kept precious you know, of because my name, my my stage name was Precious Jewel. And so I dropped Jewel and then just kept precious and and claimed my life. I love it. And also I love that like that is the the stage name of Precious Jewel and like how, yeah, like how like what a special like thing that you named yourself. And then I love that it's sort of it feels even more powerful because it was like down to the last minute. Like sometimes you know we're thinking so hard about something, but it was just sort of like okay like that it came out that it's like that's the truth like that's like <laughs> the realness right <laughs> exactly exactly like well I, I had no clue like I just like off the but my spirit knew my my spirit knew 
that what I was about to do was a divine moment. And I think that's what I have always been me does. It shows like a series of divine moments in my life. And what I love about that too is, you know, growing up being involved in the church, the church teaches an outward connection to divinity. The, 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 the church teaches it's all about sacrifice, you know, and if not, but God, if not, if not, if not, there, there's, there's, there's no earnest placed on you yourselves. I mean, I mean, Pentecostal faith, you know, there is the one, you know, decision, you know, the, the salvation, the salvation moment for me. But I think I've always, and I have always been me. I also talk about like the divinity within my own life, the ways in which I've been aligned with the, with the divine all along. Like these are a series of moments that have changed the course of my life. I was in the right place at the right time. What if I, I never would have seen that queen come out and perform. And then the MC came out and said there was a contest. And then I went to the contest. I mean, it's a series of divine moments that I, I believe that, that were meant to happen. Yeah, it's so true. And I have my own. I was raised Catholic and went to all Catholic schools and stuff too. So I and I have my own. So I have my own struggles with organized religion, and um, yeah, and don't define myself <laughs> by any of that. But at the same time, I've always felt very spiritual, and that it's also it's like yeah, like if you believe in in a God, whoever your God or Christ or this is, and it's like why wouldn't we believe? Like yeah, like we're supposed to be. We came from this 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 being right so we are part of it so yes we are like it's like us being ourselves that feels like the most like yes that is divine that is following god's wishes or whatever not these rules that were made up that people are like you should do this and nope you're not accepted and like, like that, it just doesn't feel right i don't get it <laughs> absolutely and i wish we talked more about that all right so i'm gonna ask you i would i would talk to you forever but you are on a book tour just telling for the people out there because they're like, why is she cutting this short? Because I can do long episodes. <laughs> but luckily, we have your book is out. So everyone can go and grab it and continue and follow you online also to learn more about you because yeah, there's so many incredible things that we did not touch on. But I'm gonna get to the questions I ask everybody. And so first, I'm bringing up this image. Um, I have a product line. And one of the products I sell are these engraved keychains that look like this. And these are all phrases that go on the keychains. So I ask every guest to not choose which phrase they like the most, but which one they feel they want as a reminder in their life right now is why. Like one that you would be like, oh, right. Oh, right, right, right. Like, I want to remember that. I'd say fuck your fears. Oh, and why are you feeling that one right and now? And I also, also, I, but can I, can I like put it together? I feel like, let me put it together. I would go, <laughs> I would do it like this. Fuck your fears. Let that shit go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> and why, why are those two uh, speaking to you right now? Just, I think that's my life. I think that that's what I talk about. And I've always been me of like, I am, I, I am fearless, like where I am fearless in so many ways, but there are so many ways in which I, I can be scared. And I always have to like remind myself of let that go. Let that go. That's not yours. You, you don't need to hold on to that. That's not who you are, girl. Let them do them. Be you. I think it's about always 
creating some kind of affirmation for, for myself and checking in with myself. And sometimes uh, I am a Scorpio and so I am an emotional person. Uh, and I also am a person who I will talk things down to the root of something. <laughs> and I and I do find meaning in everything. And so sometimes I need to just like, uh, let that go. <laughs> get it. I get it. <laughs> okay. The next question is, is what are, what are go-tos for you to raise your joy levels when you may be feeling off funky? Like, all right, oof, let me, let me, let me see. Uh, I love travel. I love travel. I love travel. I love traveling. I'm just like getting on an air, airplane, going somewhere, going to a hotel, you know, eating, eating good food, being, being, being with family. Um, I'm a music person. So I really love listening to some of my favorite artists. I love going to see musicals. I love going to museums. Um, and some simple things I like going on, like, uh, walks. I like going on all walks. Like I find beauty in everything, you know, like, like one of my friends likes to make a, a joke of, uh, he says like, I'll see a row of six houses and be like, Oh, those houses are so cute together. <laughs> you know, so. Um, but yeah, uh, spending time, uh, with, with, with people I love, uh, going to therapy. All good choices. Um, okay, I ask everybody to apply this phrase to their own life. What is easiest for you is not always what is best for you. So it could be like a habit, a way of being, a way you naturally react. What is easiest for me is blank. What is best for me is blank. Okay. Um, what is easiest for me is connecting with folks. But what is not best for me is being friends with everyone. I get that. And I have definitely learned that lesson. <laughs> and sometimes I have to remind myself of that too. <laughs> yeah. Because like, sometimes like I'll meet someone and I'm like, Oh my God, they were like so cool. And they had the coolest vibes. And then like something will happen later. I'm like, Oh my God, they're so crazy. Like, <laughs> <laughs> okay. The last question is the name of the podcast is claim it. And I said a little bit why earlier. So what are you claiming for yourself right now? Right now, today, today I'm claiming joy. Today I'm I'm being happy. I'm celebrating uh, th this book. I'm I'm celebrating what it means for my life, what it means for others. Claiming joy today. Awesome. Thank you so much for your joy, for saying for your time and for writing this book. I have always been me. We will link that and all of your things in the show notes. Thanks so much for having me, Trisha. Be well. You're so welcome. Wow. Hopefully you like me are going to, well, I already have her book, but hopefully you are going to continue learning more about Precious and her journey by getting her book, I Have Always Been Me. For more, you can find preciousbradydavis.com. For all the show notes, you can always go to yourdrealogist.com backslash podcast and you'll find all the episodes there with links to things that we mentioned. Um, yeah, I love hearing from you. Are you listening? What did you love? Share the episode. Just send me a DM at either underscore Trisha Huffman or at Claim It Podcast. 
Let me know you're listening. Let me know what you're feeling. Let me know what you think of these amazing guests. And, um, and yeah, if you haven't yet, please again, hit subscribe. If you haven't yet left a review, type a review, screenshot it before you hit update or whatever post and send it to podcast at yourjoyologist.com. And I will send you a gift from my product line to get you more connected to you, empowered in your life and reminding you to own your awesome. All right. For the final thought of the day. All right. I love the title. I have always been me. Just think about that for a minute for yourself. I have always been me. What does that look like to you? What is it to be you?